0: Hi, you're about to get smarter in just a few minutes with Curiosity Daily from Discovery. I'm Cody Goff.
1: And I'm Ashley Hamer. Today, you'll learn about the surprising link between birthdays and COVID-19 with Freakonomics MD host Dr. Bapu Jenna, and why you should consider the role of psychological richness when it comes to making a good life. We'll also answer a listener question about how to tell the difference between an artificial satellite and a star. Let's satisfy
0: some curiosity. By now, we all know that going to large gatherings full of strangers increases our risk of COVID infection. But what about small gatherings with people we know and trust? I mean, that must be safe, right? Well, Dr. Bapu Jenna is back today to give us some evidence as to what's really going on, thanks to a fascinating study involving birthday parties. Dr. Bapu Jena is a professor at Harvard Medical School, a physician in Massachusetts General Hospital, and a faculty research fellow at the National Bureau of Economic Research with both an MD and a PhD in economics. He's also the host of the new podcast, Freakonomics MD, which explores fascinating ideas at the intersection of medicine, behavioral science, and economics. Here's Dr. Bapu Jenna on what made him start thinking about this whole get together thing in the first place.
2: So my daughter's six, and uh, a few months ago, she had, not a few months ago, like a year and a half ago now, she had a birthday. It's in, it was December, and we were thinking about whether or not to do it in person or to do it via Zoom. And we ultimately decided to do it via Zoom. But you know, we had some close friends that we thought maybe they could just come over. We would do it inside. It's December in Boston, so it's pretty cold, but we opted against it. But as we were having that discussion, my wife and I thought to myself, I was like, man, you know, birthdays could be the setting where people would feel compelled to get together. And in the middle of a pandemic, it could lead to new diagnoses of COVID-19 because people are gathering with other people in their home. And so that was the original impetus for the idea. And what I did was we basically looked at data from insurance companies insurers know when people are born they know their birthdays and they also know if people have been diagnosed with covid 19 because people often seek medical care for that and what we basically showed is that across millions of people if you look at households in the same city and one household has a member with a birthday in a given week and you look at another household in which no members of that household have a birthday and you compare the rates of covid 19 infection in those two households going forward two weeks what you find is that households in which a member had a birthday are about 30% more likely to have a COVID-19 diagnosis in the subsequent two weeks compared to a household in which no member had a birthday. And the reason I thought that was interesting was because there's this epidemiologic question of whether or not if you gather with people inside your home, you increase your risk of COVID-19. And we know how the disease spreads. It shouldn't be a surprise. But what we don't know is exactly how risky is it? I mean, exactly how much do you expand your risk if you take on that sort of activity, particularly with people that you know and you trust, right? Because I would imagine that if you went to a restaurant or a bar or wherever with people that you don't know, you might think to yourself, you have an elevated risk. But my guess, Cody, is that you might think that if you hung out with Ashley and had dinner inside your house, you'd be at lower risk. And it's an empirical question as to whether or not that would be true or not. And what we found is that when people have birthdays, they are clearly getting together with people that they know and trust. And even then, there's still this pretty large increase in COVID diagnoses in the subsequent two weeks. So it's because of birthday parties. It's because of birthday parties, yeah. Wow. Uh, So is the takeaway, don't have birthday parties during the pandemic? <laughs> I don't. I mean, well, I mean, I you know, we had a Zoom birthday party, and it, it wasn't the same, but it was okay. I'll tell you. For uh, Thanksgiving, it was also pretty cold here. We had a Thanksgiving dinner inside our garage. We opened up the the windows and and you know did our best, and it was cold, and it was a short Thanksgiving. Um, but you know, we were making it making a trade off. I mean, ultimately, it was a personal decision. But the goal of this research isn't really to say what people should and shouldn't be doing, because that's a, that's a personal choice. But really, to say you know, we shouldn't enter into decisions without information about what the risks are. And, and I, for one, might have thought that if I was getting together with other families like of doctors and their kids we, we socialize with, that they would be low risk because they know about the public health stuff. They're careful. And it turns out that just in general, that isn't true, that people are people, they're going to do things, and there's always going to be some risk associated with it. And whether this is a risk that someone wants to take or not, that's a personal question. You heard him. There's always going to be
0: some risk. Whether that's a risk you want to take is up to you. Again, that was Dr. Bapu Jenna, host of the new podcast, Freakonomics MD. You can find a link to the podcast in today's show notes.
1: What defines a good life? Ask 10 different people and you'll get 10 different answers. But in a new study, scientists say there's one aspect of a good life that's often overlooked psychological richness. See, despite what your average person on the street says about what makes a good life, scientists have generally narrowed it down to two dimensions. There's garden variety happiness, which they call hedonistic well-being, and there's a sense of meaning and purpose, which they call eudaimonic well-being. They both contribute to a good life in different ways. But the team behind this new study argues that's not enough. A good life also needs psychological richness. Living a psychologically rich life means having unique, interesting experiences that change your outlook. This can be as simple as hanging out with different types of people or a larger experience like studying abroad. Psychologically rich experiences don't even need to be positive. Divorce or loss can be painful, but they can still offer new perspectives. To support their theory, researchers asked 500 college students to choose from a list of characteristics that best described their lives. The researchers also analyzed the adjectives used in hundreds of obituaries. They found that all of these attributes could be grouped into three dimensions, happiness, meaning, and psychological richness. Even though these dimensions are distinct, the researchers found that they can influence one another. For example, in the obituaries, people who had more psychologically rich lives also had less happy lives. Of course, all this proved was that psychological richness was distinct from happiness and meaning. To show that it's an element of a good life, the team asked people around the world to choose characteristics of their ideal life from a list that included traits from all three categories. The participants' answers showed that happiness, meaning, and psychological richness were all key ingredients for an ideal life. Then the researchers pressed them. If they could only choose one kind of life, which would they choose? In that case, a happy life was most popular, followed by one filled with meaning. But a substantial minority of people would choose a psychologically rich life at the expense of the other two. To lead a good life, for plenty of happy meaningful experiences but don't forget to keep it interesting we got a listener question from narrow in ghana take a listen hi here sister daily my name is Nero. i'm from ghana how do you tell artificial satellites from a star in case you didn't catch that narrow asked how to tell an artificial satellite from a star so as of april this year there are more than 4,000 operational satellites in orbit around our planet, and thousands more that have been decommissioned. You can't see all of them with the naked eye, but the bigger, more reflective ones are visible in a very dark sky, thanks to sunlight glinting off of their solar panels and other surfaces. The reflection can often make them look like a star, although satellites often blink in and out of view thanks to changes in their reflected light, while stars just keep on shining. But besides that, there's a really simple way to tell satellites and stars apart. You can actually see most satellites move across the sky, while a star appears to stay in one place. In reality, neither actually stay in the same place. Most stars at least appear to move across the sky as our planet rotates on its axis, while many satellites are literally circling our planet. But the speed at which they do that is very different. A given star might take the entire night to move across the sky, while most satellites move much faster. Low-orbit satellites move the fastest. They complete an orbit in around 90 minutes. These satellites are mostly used for communication and observation, like the famed Starlink satellites from SpaceX and the International Space Station. You can literally watch these speedy satellites track a long path across the sky over several minutes. Middle-orbit satellites are higher up and usually used for weather prediction and, famously, GPS. These satellites take anywhere from 2 up to 24 hours to circle the planet. Finally, way up high, there are satellites in geosynchronous or geostationary orbit. That means that they orbit at the same speed that the Earth turns, so they don't appear to move at all from our vantage point. But like I said, there are only some satellites that you can spot with the naked eye. The brightest satellite you can spot is the International Space Station, which can shine brighter than the planet Venus. The Hubble Space Telescope is really bright, too. Communication satellites launched by the company Iridium are also easy to spot by their so-called Iridium flares, where reflected sunlight makes them go from invisible to super bright and back again in less than a minute. For help identifying what you're seeing, check out one of the many augmented reality smartphone apps designed for stargazing. All you need to do is point your phone at the object in question and you'll get your answer. Thanks for your question, Nero. If you have a question, send it in to curiosity at discovery.com or leave us a voicemail at 312-596-5208.
0: I have a question, Ashley. What's your question? Well, before we recap what we learned today, are you going to give listeners a sneak peek at what they'll learn about next week on Curiosity Daily?
1: You know I will, Cody. Next week, you'll learn about a psychological reason why holiday shopping can get so hostile, what the Perseverance rover helped us learn about the Jezero crater on Mars, why you fall into a food coma after you eat too much, and why you wake up hungry the next day, the surprising history of psychedelics research in the U.S., and more. Okay, so now let's recap what we learned today. Starting with the fact that during the pandemic, researchers have found an increase in diagnoses of COVID-19 after people's birthdays. This is important because even if you think you're safe and you trust your friends and family to take safety precautions, you may still be putting yourself at risk if you host a big get together to celebrate. And that's true, even if your friends are all doctors. This doesn't mean you shouldn't spend any time with the people you care about. It just means you should remember to weigh the risks, especially when it comes to people who can't or won't get vaccinated.
0: Yeah, this story is not meant to scare anybody or make you feel bad. I mean, like, you know, get together with people. Again, if if you're willing to accept the risk, just remember the risk doesn't take a holiday just cuz you're on holiday. Last year, I had a family event planned. One of my brothers works in an office with literally 3 people. And we're like, well, there's no way he's going to get COVID, you know. And then there was a potential exposure like right before our family got together and it's like, dude, you see 3 people ever? Like how did this happen? And and that's all it takes, right? It just takes one. Which is why the virus is very scary and, you know, nobody's happy about it, but uh But again, you know, with more vaccine availability here in the U.S. at least, and more people wearing masks responsibly and other policies are helping, hopefully we won't have to worry about this too much longer.
1: (laughs) Yeah, we can only hope.
0: We also learned that scientists argue that happiness and meaning aren't the only important dimensions of a good life. Psychological richness is important too. A study found that psychological richness is a distinct category from happiness and meaning and that it's a key element of many people's idea. Of an ideal life.
1: I think it's really interesting that psychological richness can sometimes lead to less happiness, and it's still considered part of a good life. Happiness isn't the entire name of the game. Sometimes you, you know, it's like you can live in paradise and have nothing bad happen to you ever, and you might be kind of bored, and it might not actually be the best life there is. Every story has conflict, that's what makes a story interesting. And I think the same thing goes for a life. Makes sense
0: to me. And we also learned that you can tell the difference between a satellite and a star by its movement. Satellites in low Earth orbit track a path across the sky in a matter of minutes, while stars take all night. Satellites also appear to come in and out of view with changes in their reflection of sunlight. The easiest satellites to spot in the night sky are the International Space Station and the Hubble Space Telescope. Although, is the International Space Station a satellite or is it a space station?
1: Anything that is orbiting our planet is a satellite, including the moon. And the International Space Station is man-made. So it is, by definition, an artificial satellite.
0: Oh, well, then we just lied. What do you mean? Because the easiest satellite to spot in the night sky is the moon on most nights.
1: Excuse me. (laughs) The easiest (laughs) artificial satellite to spot in the night sky is the International Space Station.
0: Ah, there we go. There's the <laughs> truth. There's the truth. We don't want to get corrected, which very rarely happens on the show. But I should mention, because we haven't said this on the show, a few weeks ago, we ran a story and we mixed up the phrases osteoclasts and osteoblasts. So if you got your vocabulary from us from that podcast episode, regarding what an osteoclast is and an osteoblast, we apologize. Please go back and listen to it. Now, you might be thinking, wow, that was like three weeks ago. Why are you just correcting it now? We were corrected the next morning. I had an email at 7 a.m. that was like, hey, we mixed this up. I immediately went back. Ashley and I both recorded little bits for me to re-edit into the episode where I was like, hey, an earlier version had this mixed up, uh, and we placed a disclaimer in that episode. So we did that right away. It's just that we were kind of busy getting ready for the whole thousandth episode celebration thing. So we didn't have time to talk about it on the podcast. But yes, that is that is the one correction I think we've made this year.
1: Right. We got many emails about that. A lot of people knew what
0: osteoblasts and osteoclasts are. We've got a smart audience. Yeah. Very smart audience. But yeah, and I just mentioned correction. So I figured I'd put that out there. But we are sticklers.
1: Also, I want to say I'm sorry for calling natural food stores, hippie stores. It's something that Growing up in an, in a hippie area of Northern California, my family has just that has been our name for them. And I didn't realize that they could be offensive. Wait, when did you do that? When we were talking about cleaning products. And I was saying, I think I might go to a hippie store to buy some natural cleaning products. It is so ingrained in my brain that like that is what they're called. And I shouldn't call them that. I shouldn't call them that. What's wrong with hippies? You know, it's it can be a derogatory term. Okay, that's fair. I think hippies are cool. Right. I mean I feel like I grew up around many hippies. It feels very, very central to my upbringing, but I can understand how that could come off. Okay.
0: Well, you're talking to a guy that considers himself a millennial hippie. So, uh, you know, I didn't even process it that way. But, uh, you know, we're all about inclusivity. I I think that someone's going to appreciate that, Ashley.
1: Good. Anything else you want to get off your chest while we're here?
0: Uh... The William Shatner thing. We're going to do this can do the <laughs> William Shatner thing. We're going to do this. All right. OK, so let's just go. Let's do all of them. Technically, one other thing that happened. I told this story about William Shatner on the podcast. I said I would love to have William Shatner on the podcast, but William Shatner does not do podcasts except for one that he did for Chris Jericho. I was immediately corrected that he recently did a podcast with Ben Folds and has done podcasts like eight years ago. OK, well, the second criticism is invalid entirely because it hasn't always been his policy. But I did say, William Shatner's only ever done one podcast, ever. I used a poor choice of words. But I was right that he doesn't book podcasts. Here is the email from his publicist. Quote, Unfortunately, Mr. Shatner does not book podcasts. He has done Chris Jericho's podcast... But that was as a personal favor to Mr. Jericho, unquote. That is from his publicist. If you go to William Shatner's Twitter profile, the last two words of his Twitter profile are no podcasts. If you go on Twitter and you search for at William Shatner podcasts, you can find a tweet from him recently that says, in fact, I'm going to do it. Hold on. I'm going to look it up. (laughs) I'm going to look this up right now. Here we go. At William Shatner podcasts. Here we go. You'll find a tweet from him from July 5th, 2020 that reads, quote, sorry, I don't do podcasts. Shrug emoji. Shrug emoji. It's a policy that stretches back seven years, unquote. And then he has a link, bit.ly slash no podcasts, that directs to a Twitter search for William Shatner and podcasts. So I know a one listener was adamant on Twitter that I was dramatically wrong, but. I stand by what I said that he doesn't do podcasts. Apparently, there are a couple of recent podcast appearances he has with Ben Folds. I know they have a relationship because Ben Folds produced at least one of William Shatner's albums, and he did another podcast with Mike Tyson. I know there was money exchanged there because they've got a bunch of sponsored stuff that came out around the time that that podcast was released. So clearly, there are exceptions, which does not make my life easier. But that notwithstanding, I stand by what I said about his policy being that he does not do podcasts. I can't control the exceptions. But yes, technically, you can hear some podcasts with William Shatner on them, just not ours.
1: I mean, Cody, this all just sounds like a complicated ploy to not go on your podcast.
0: (laughs) (laughs) The seven year slow burn. (laughs) The seven year buildup. How can I not be on Cody's podcast?
1: (laughs) I'm going to make a website, a pinned tweet. I'm going to do all this stuff. (sighs) Just don't want him to know that I go on other podcasts.
0: When he went to space, he went back in time to to warn himself about me. I don't know. If only I thought I was that important.
1: The writer for today's psychological richness story was Steffi Drucker.
0: Our managing editor is Ashley Hamer, who is also a writer and audio editor on today's episode.
1: Our producer and lead audio editor is Cody Goff. Have a great weekend. Do something
0: different. Enrich your psychological richness and stuff. But then join us again Monday to learn something new in just a few minutes. And
1: until then, stay curious.